Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. Good morning. So it's Christmas time. Greatest announcement ever made, made by the angels to the shepherds about Christ's coming. We're going to talk about that today. Before we do that, I want to mention a couple things. One is uh, our last December nights is this Thursday, and they have a snow hill, and they have in-and-out trucks, and you can get your tickets out in the lobby for the uh, in-and-out if you don't want to stand in the line on Thursday night. And I am, I am supposed to tell you that even if it rains, we're still having the snow hill, let those little brats find out what it's like to be cold and wet. But anyway... Just kidding, just kidding. But we are going to have it. It'll be here, and we'll move some activities inside, and it'll be great. So be here for that. It's been fun. Made some great memories and uh, had a great time the first couple of weeks, so be here for that. Uh, also, our uh, 23rd, uh, uh, the service on the 23rd is not our normal um, Christmas Eve service. It is for kids. Let's just say oftentimes there is slime involved. So it's kind of wild. It's kind of crazy. Bring a kid. Uh, get permission from their parents first, and then bring a kid, uh, and uh, they'll have a great time. We're going to tell a Christmas story in a way that it may be a little heretical, honestly, but it's going to be really fun, and I think they're going to hear a great message and some great music. So, And then on the 24th, all of our services are the same, and so pick one, be here, bring somebody with you, bring a friend, bring an enemy, bring your family, which is both. So um, are you okay? Because yeah. I got a lot for you today, so you better buckle your seatbelt and... Uh, be ready, because I'm kind of excited about what I'm going to share today. I have um, five pages of notes, and last night I got through a page and a half. So today I've decided to talk faster. So we, can, we can get through this. Doing this series called, series called Christmas Changes. You can tell styles and toys and gifts change over the years, but there are some things about Christmas that don't change. And there are some things that we need to change at Christmas. So today I want to talk about maybe some Christmas changes you might want to make in your life, get them more... Um, uh, ordered the way that it would allow God to do what he wants to do in your life. So um, if you're a guest, we're so glad you're here. And, uh, and if you're not, we're also glad you're here. So let's begin with Luke chapter 2. It starts like this. Um, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. That was our first week. We talked about the good news of the gospel that will cause great joy. That was last week for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Uh, we're going to talk about that last phrase, on earth peace. But first I need to talk about a couple of things that kind of, I think, would clear the way for peace. As we, as we uh, think about this, we have to be honest, and this may be a, a, little, um, a little bursting of your bubble, but you may not know this, but we do not live in a Hallmark card. <laughs> We're not even living in a Hallmark movie. It's interesting because we hear this promise from the angel of peace on earth, and yet if you watch the news just once, I advise not more than once, once is plenty, um, you will see there is not peace on earth. And there is not, in the old King James translation, goodwill toward men, very many places. How is this? How can this be true and that be true at the same time? And I want to talk a little bit about that. 
And I want to talk about how we maybe misunderstand this passage and how maybe we haven't set ourselves up to experience it and uh, to get us there. So I'm going to start by meddling a little bit. I don't know if you know what meddling is. I'm going to meddle in your business yeah, to begin with. Because I think there may be a foundational prerequisite for us coming to understand and experience peace. Um, and uh, and, and it, it has to do with the order of things. So I'm probably not going to finish the message. So I'm going to give you the three major points up front for those of you who, who need that. Uh, okay, so uh, glory goes up, peace comes down, and the righteous go out. Got it? Glory goes up, peace comes down, the righteous go out. Now, it, it's kind of the order of things. And so what, what does that even mean? So you see the angels, they come and they say, glory to God in the highest heaven. Now, here's what we know about angels. I've never seen one that I know of, um, uh, that I know of. But evidently, they're kind of imposing beings because every time an angel appeared in the Christmas story, they also followed it with, do not be afraid. You know what I'm saying? So there's something, they're terrified because when angels show up. So angels must be fairly imposing, impressive kinds of beings when they appear. And what the angels do here is not kind of hover in the sky and go, look at us, we're great. They immediately go, Glory to God in the highest. I think there is something. It's just the way I read it this year. Kind of look at it. See what you think. I think there may be something we need to learn from the angels before we get to the peace part. Angels exist to give God glory. To bring the attention to God, not to themselves. What if we we're also created to give God glory and not take the attention for ourselves. When I was uh, uh, being ordained as a minister a very long time ago now, the gentleman who was, who was doing the ordination said, guys, I want you to remember this. Keep your hands off the gold, the girls, and the glory. Pretty good advice for a minister. You kind of mess up if you mess with any of those. First two are fairly obvious. Those are very measurable. But what about the glory part? What about if ministry were to become about me and not about giving God attention? One of the things we've been, we were taught was to pray every day. Don't let them see me. Let them see God through the words I'm sharing with you. And, and a part of what we as believers need to realize is that we are not here to get attention. Getting attention is kind of comes normal for us. But listen to this. Psalm 29. This looks to me to be about angels. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Um, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Now what about humans? Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. If there is an all-powerful, almighty God who not only knows all, but has all power, if there is such a being, the rest of us would do well to point each other toward this being, this God. And that's what we were created to do. What if we have misunderstood the assignment? What if we didn't understand the assignment? We have somehow come to believe that the assignment was to get as much attention as we can. Now, frankly, it's not, it's not hard to understand how we got there. A number of years ago, I was in New York City. And I was just, there were just people everywhere. And I was thinking, how does one even get noticed in a crowd like this? It's just an anthill. And you're just another ant. How does one find meaning or, or purpose or significance or 
how do you even get seen in a situation like that? What if we misunderstand the assignment? And it's not to get glory, it's to give glory. It's not to get attention, it's to give attention. What if it's not only futile, futile in seeking glory, but it is also sinful? So what does that do to, I don't know, things like social media? Right? How much of social media is basically... So we do this as little children. One of the first things we learn as little children, look at me, look at me, look at me. Problem is, some of us never outgrow that. And we're still on social media going, look at me, look at me. I'm in Paris. I'm on vacation. I bought a new car. Right? Now, I was going to say something really snarky like 100% of social media is about look at me. It's not true. I, I went on uh, and saw that a friend was talking about the loss of someone they loved, and it was very kind. So, so it's not 100%. 100% of TikTok, I'm pretty sure, is, from what I know about it, look at me, right? The, it's the, it, it, so if, if you find yourself posting a lot about you and what you've achieved and trying to project an image, maybe you've misunderstood the assignment, Right? Uh, and we do this in so many ways. Social media is just one of the ways we do that. We do it with the house we live in, the car we drive, the clothes we wear, right? If you're driving a red Ferrari, um, I'm just saying. It's not because it's a better form of transportation, right? I got nothing against red Ferraris. I've never been in one, but I'm kind of thinking it's a little bit of look at me, don't you think? No? So you're going to look at me. You all have red Ferraris and you're offended now. Is that what it is? <laughs> it went dead silent when I talked about Ferraris. Social media we could laugh at. Ferraris not so much. Here's the reality, guys. I think we have not gotten to the peace part because we're stuck on the getting the glory part. We're trying to get the attention that we somehow think is going to fix us at the end of the day. What if, in reality, our life is best lived giving glory to God and not trying to get attention for ourselves? What would that do? Well, we could stop trying so hard. We, we could stop trying to get everybody to look at us. Or try, stop trying to, we spend much of our lives trying to prove to somebody somewhere that we are worthy of taking up space and using oxygen on this planet. We're all kind of waiting around, just waiting to get discovered somehow. Well, what if the point of life is not to be noticed by others, but by God? There's an interesting thing in this, in this passage where it says, glory to God in the highest heaven. Glory to God in the highest heaven is, is more specific than we understand. Why didn't they say glory to God? Or glory to God in heaven? Or glory to God in instead of the highest heaven. Why do you say highest heaven? Because there's, there's some commentators have suggested maybe in link, in, in link to a, a passage in Hebrews where maybe there is a special place in heaven. I don't know if it's spatial or I don't know how that works. But in heaven where the angels don't go, it's only God. And it is possible that in this reason the angels are saying this is they're saying glory to God, not just general, the very specifically God, the Trinity in this unique part of heaven. In other words, they are ascribing glory not to heaven, which they are a part of, but to God, specifically the triune God. What if our job is to bring attention to, bring glory to, point others to this triune God? We could move from a life of a series of photo ops to actually experiencing the joy of fulfilling our mission of pointing others to him. Have you ever, I don't know if anybody else has ever done this, but you're, you're either in a hotel and there's a wedding there or you're at some tourist spot where lots of pictures are taken. Have you ever just wanted to just go? Yeah, me either. But somebody might someday be 
thought they were. It's called photobombing. What if we have been photobombing God's attempts to reveal himself to the hum, humankind? What if by jumping in and taking the glory, we have been, and you're saying, what, what, what is glory adding to me? Any attempt to get attention, any attempt to make it about us, when in reality it's not about us, we are not the solution, and getting attention is not the solution. What if we were created in such a way that rather than just kind of suddenly going, hey, look at me, what if we were able to go look at him to the one who has the power and the authority and the ability to change whatever's going on in the world, and that is more fulfilling than getting people to look at us? What if you were to have a conversation with someone who's really struggling, and instead of saying, well, you know what I think, you say, you know, God seems to according to his word, and that person makes a decision about who Jesus was and what he means to them, and it changes their eternal destiny. Which feels better? Me getting the attention or me helping someone get to heaven? <laughs> right? We need to get out of the way. Get out of the attention. And this is ironic for a guy who stands up and talks to thousands of people every week. I get it. But I get it more than you get it. I understand the temptation. And I know that God has a way. My dad used to have a saying, when you got a little big for your britches, you guys know what that means? A little ego driven there? That, that there's a way to bring you back down. God has a way to do that. For guys like me who do what I do, there's a price to be paid. And if I start getting a little big, God has a way. And it's usually really painful. And besides that, my kids, oh, anyway, um, keep me down. Here's the deal. What if we begin to evaluate our lives based on how much attention we're, we're bringing to God and not ourselves? How would that change? So if you're on social media, why? Anyway, sorry. Um, that was funny. Come on. That was funny. <laughs> See, humorous when something's unexpected. It's a little harsh. That was funny. Not so much. Okay. <laughs> Christmas, you tired already? <laughs> what if you looked at your posts and you evaluate what percentage of them are trying to get attention from me? So now that you're not on social media, you think you dodged when I got it for YouTube, by the way. For those of you who talk, I'm assuming everybody in the room talks, how much of your conversation is you trying to project some kind of image about yourself? Maybe true, maybe not true. How much of what you say is said just so you can impress others as opposed to pointing them to the one who can actually make a difference? I gotta be honest. If you think that seriously, as I have on, on uh, at several occasions, you'll get real quiet for a few days. Because you realize that so much of what we say is just to impress others. To show how smart we are. Or try to convince others we're that smart, even if we're not. So much of us is trying to maintain some image. Why don't we just let the image go and we be real in the moment. It's really you and it's really me. And we both really need God. And so let's figure out how to know God better together. What if we just cut all the stuff? All the other stuff. All the posturing. All, all the projecting. All the... It, it must be scary because you're very quiet. And yet, I want to suggest we will never come to the peace that God has for us unless we learn to step away from that attention-seeking. Now you're saying, well, you want me to feel bad about myself? No, I want you to feel great about yourself, but for a better reason than people pay attention to you. Listen to this. Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Humility, that's a tough one, isn't it? I'm really glad I'm good at it because (laughs) 
in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. There's got to be a switch. There's got to be a switch in the way we live and why we live. If we're going to be who God wants us to be and we're going to live the life that we want to live. What if we begin to realize that our validation is not found in being, getting attention or be the center of attention? What if we found that our validation is found in another place? Here's what's amazing about this particular passage we've been looking at. The announcement from the angels to the shepherds. The shepherds are the most unlikely people to receive the announcement of of the Savior's birth. The shepherds in the culture were kind of considered the lowest class Matter of fact, because of what they did for a living, they weren't allowed to go to the temple and worship even in their own religion. They were kind of considered outcasts. They were kind of considered low class. They were, they were kind of not the people. And yet the angels appeared to them first. They were the first on the scene after the birth of Jesus with Joseph and Mary. Why is that? Because God wanted to communicate something to us. That you are important to him. That he sees you. Even if your place of service is somewhere that nobody else sees. It's an unseen service. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody applauds you. Nobody thinks it's great. But God sees you and he cares about you. What if our validation came from knowing that God is not only seeing us, but loves us and cares for us and has a plan to use us in the world? How would that change the way we make our way in this world? So I was, I was trying to figure this out. I was thinking about how do, how do I kind of bring this home? Moms. I was thinking about moms. Moms of toddlers, especially. Just trying to, trying to, you know, lasso a tornado all the time. Just everything gets taken out and thrown around. And it's just, they're just, and very rarely does anybody say thank you. I was thinking about all those moms. They go home and they do all the stuff and they watch the kids and there's no party thrown for them. We have Mother's Day and they get a, cheesy card, but can I just say something to you moms who would like to have an adult conversation for a change? There is a God who sees you. There is a God who sees you. Three moms applauding. God's applauding you right now. A number of years ago, a number of years ago, my dad was at a, a function, some fancy deal. And he was sitting at the table with the parents, family friends of the United States Attorney General. Attorney General's there. Parents are here. My dad turns to the the mom of the Attorney General that he's known most of his life and says, you must be so proud. And she says, well, you know what's interesting about this is when you're raising them, you don't know if they're going to be turkeys or eagles. Some of you moms, you don't know if you're raising turkeys or eagles. But God does. And God cares about what you're doing. And that investment you're making in those children is extremely important. It is so important. God is with you. God sees what you're doing. He wants to help you and wants you to know that it's important. I was thinking about another group this week, and I was thinking about this passage, because the angels coming to the shepherds is really significant. I was thinking about students. I don't, I don't know about the students here, if there are any in the room or not, but especially high school, junior high, high school. I went to big junior high, big high school. And uh, man, if you're not a part of the, the elite royalty of the popularity group, you almost don't exist. 
I'm not saying everybody, some of you have good friends and you're loved, but there are those, and you can spot them because they walk along the edges. And they stay out of the mainstream. They don't want to get hit. They don't get run over. They don't even want anybody to notice them. They just kind of go along the edges and try not to get noticed. If that's you today, and, and we know this happens because of suicide rates, the amount of depression happening. If you are a student and you feel lost, no matter where you are on that social climber thing, don't you know that he sees you? You're no lower than a shepherd, I guarantee you, and that if you will just believe him and you'll receive the message of Christmas, that you can be assured that while nobody else understands what's going on, God is growing you. God is developing you. He is making you into somebody that someday will do things with God's help that nobody can imagine. I was a youth pastor for many years. I remember walking into a young lady's hospital room that had tried to commit suicide. I, in that moment... I saw a little girl. She wasn't physically. She looked like a full-grown woman. But I saw a little girl. Somebody had said something mean. She'd forgotten how loved she was. She didn't grasp that God was walking with her and cared deeply. You see, at this time of year, there's more suicide than any other time of year because some of us are still stuck in that crowded hallway and nobody seems to see we're there. But I want to say to you, whether you're a student or you're a grown-up feeling alone, that he sees you and you are not alone and what you're doing is important to him and he cares. Receive the message that he loves you. I recently joined the uh, ranks of old people. Do <laughs> you want me to say it louder for those of my age? I officially became old. I've been feeling that way for a long time, but I officially became old. I've even been doing research on, you know, finances and all the stuff you do. And more doctor's visits, not fun. If you have um, a few years on you like I do, I really pray and hope that you're not just kind of riding it out, coasting. If God still cares enough to put breath in your lungs, you're here for a reason. You're not put out to pasture, as you would say, in the light of the shepherds. You are important. You know, I was praying this week. I was praying for you this week, along with the students and the moms. I was praying for you, and I was praying that God would give you a divine appointment this week, that someone would allow you to speak truth and wisdom into their life just because you have gray hair. That you would be able to say something to a young mom having raised your own family from a perspective that some other person their age doesn't know. That you'd be able to say something in that moment that would remind you that you are still here for a reason. Don't quit. We need you. The angels came to the shepherds. It wasn't so the shepherds would get attention. It was because they needed to hear the message just like we all do. And God wanted to start with the lowest, the lowliest. Today, I don't, know, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what situation is yours, but you need to hear the message. It is for you. Peace on earth. First Corinthians says, so whether you eat or drink or raise children or work at a retirement center or go to school, I added those. 
Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't take the glory. Give it to God, and you will find your life is working better. And then it goes, it says, peace on earth. Peace on earth. It doesn't sound like it's happened. It doesn't sound like there's peace on this earth right now. It feels very much like there's not, but there is this promise. The word here is a, is a word that in the Old Testament would be the word shalom. It's the same word. And, and shalom doesn't just mean uh, absence of conflict or absence of war. Peace is so much more than that. Peace is about completeness. It is about soundness. It is about well-being. It is about harmony. It's about fulfillment, a, a full and satisfying life. It is about shalom. Uh, we have a guy that works here. His name is Juan. Juan's on our, on our uh, facilities crew. Everybody loves Juan. Juan, if you work with Juan, you know Juan's great. And Juan's a little guy. He's, he's, just, he's just stout and he's a good guy. And he's always smiling. And, and uh, every time when Juan and I get together, he goes, Pastor. <laughs> you know what he means by that? He's asking me a question. Pastor, you good? You feeling good? You feeling good? He's asking me if I'm living in shalom. That's how he's asking. It's just, Pastor, you're good? You ready? You feeling good? He's, that's what shalom is. That's what peace is. It's about, I'm good. I'm good. Me, God, we're here. We're ready. And then he also goes like this. <laughs> and you know what he's asking then? You've been to the gym? I usually get busy about that. Oh, I got to go on. I don't want to answer that question, but we all want to live in shalom. See, we think of peace as kind of quiet, and, and sometimes it is. But you see, peace isn't dependent upon the circumstances because you can have everything smooth and quiet sitting by a lake up in the mountains, nobody bothering you, and you might not be at peace. You might be just in turmoil inside, or you can just have received the news you've got cancer, but be at peace because... Well, because what? Because peace is first and foremost about peace with God. You see, that's how you have peace, is you have to have peace with God. That's why Christ came. That's what the announcement of Christmas is about, is peace with God. He's saying, well, me and God, we're good. And I always want to say, and I do on occasion, when somebody says, no, no, me and God, we're good. And I said, says who? Based on What? Because we like to think that. We like to think me and God are good. And they usually go to say, well, I'm a good person. Well, compared to who? Well, I just think, well, is the best person you can quote you? Because if eternity is based on, I want to quote somebody better than me because I'm not that bright. The reality is that we can know that it, we're good with God because we believe in and accept Jesus Christ. The Bible says that before we come to believe in Jesus Christ, we are not just not good with God. We're at war with God, and it makes perfect sense. If there is a God who created you and designed you uniquely and specifically and different from every other person in the world and has a unique plan for your life, and you are choosing to do your own way, how are you not at odds with God? How could, how could it be any other way? Well, you know, I just, I don't you better go a little deeper. Are you at odds with God or not? The Bible goes on to say it's not only are we at odds with God, we are enemies. <laughs> so I don't, I'm not an enemy of God. Really? He has a plan for your life. You're not living it. You're using people, because we all do. How are you not an enemy of God? We all are. 
until we come to believe in Jesus and we say, I don't want to be your enemy anymore. I want to be forgiven. I want to be reconciled to my creator. That's the good news. That's what's great about this. There used to be a bumper sticker, N-O, peace, N-O, peace. K-N-O-W, peace, K-N-O-W, peace. You see, real peace. Well, people say, and it boils down to this. Well, I'm not at war. Well, I think you are. Well, I'm in charge. In charge of what? I wrote this paragraph in light of this about myself. It's too harsh to say about you, but I will say it about me. Listen to this. But I'm in charge of what? This is about before I came to believe in Jesus. Better to be a servant in the eternal kingdom of God than the king of a corrupt, crumbling, constantly conflicted, minuscule, meaningless little kingdom ruled by a selfish, insatiable little despot addicted to his own urges. Now, I'd never say that about you because I'm sure it's not true of any of you, but that's kind of how I view my life before I came to Christ, before I realized that going my own way was to be at odds with my creator and was, it wasn't going to work out. The ending wasn't going to be a happy ending. When I humbled myself, and I said, okay, Jesus, here's the deal. Here's the deal. We want peace. We want wholeness. We want harmony. And we think, the key to that, intuitively think this, all of us, that the way to get there is to control more and more. People my age trying to control how much money comes in and goes out for the rest of their life. If I can just get the retirement on, on if I can just get that right, everything's good. If I can just get my kids straightened out and get them set and for life, get them a good education, good school, and get them in a good job and maybe a good spot, since all of a sudden I'm just getting everything lined up and it's going to work out. And then the doctor says you have cancer because you were never in control. Control is not the way to peace because you can't get there. Let me tell you the way to peace submission. See, the Bible says that Jesus, it was predicted, he would be the prince of peace. The one who brings peace. He not only makes peace with us and God, he brings peace to our lives. It is not something you can achieve. It's not something you can acquire. It is not something you can build. It is something you can simply receive by saying, yes, be Lord of my life. I know you're in charge of the outcomes and give me peace. So we live in a world that says, oh, you grab it, you make it happen. It's a lie. It doesn't mean you sit back and eat bonbons all day. You got to work hard. You got to move forward. You got to grow. You got to become. You got to do all that stuff. But at the end of the day, when you go to sleep at night, you're either resting in peace because you have submitted to the, peace, the Prince of Peace, or you're still trying to figure out how I'm going to manipulate my way and control my way into peace. It is, it is an endless pursuit. Not only do we have peace with God and peace from Jesus, we are called to walk in peace daily. I'm out of time. I'm just going to give you this, and then I have one more important thing that I say. I'm just going to give you this. The way to peace is to submit to Jesus, to accept forgiveness that he bought for you on the cross, and to daily ask for peace. There's this wonderful passage in Scripture that teaches us that, that he will give us a peace that passes understanding. In other words, he will give you a peace. You can't explain why you have it or how you have it or how it got there. Here's what it, here, here's what it looks like for me. When there is dissonance in my life, I know I'm at peace with God. I understand that. 
And I, I, I know that he will give me peace. But sometimes I try to do it my own way for a few hours. I try to figure it out. I try to sums up. Okay, I'm going to do three things. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to plan beyond. I'm going to run over it. I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do. And then I sit down with God and I go, okay, Lord, here's who you are. You're almighty God, all powerful God. You love me. You came. You died for me. You're my savior. You're a prince of peace in my life. I love you. Thank you for all these things you've done for me. And then I get down to the thing and I go, and here is a problem I'm dealing with. Give me wisdom, give me creativity, give me discernment, and give me peace. And you know what? Peace comes. Not just once in a while, every time I sit down with God. I don't have, I don't have figured out, I don't usually come up with a solution. I, 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 but somehow, having had that conversation with God, I am at peace. I can't explain it to you. It is a gift. And I just put on my hands and I receive it. Today, I will walk in your peace. See, that's what peace looks like. Me and God, we're okay. And he did all the work. Let me finish, let me finish with this. Because you might be thinking, I want you to walk out of here feeling bad about yourself. I don't. I want you to walk out of here humbly feeling great about yourself. Let me finish with this. In, in that opening passage, it, it talks about there would be peace on earth to men and women. It's inclusive in that, in that language to people upon whom his favor rests. To people upon whom his favor rests. This is a powerful thing. I don't want you to walk out of here feeling beat up, discouraged, hopeless. I want you to walk out of quite the opposite. That phrase, I don't know how I'm going to communicate this. I'm struggling to get it out. But that phrase, men and women upon whom his favor rests, that phrase is the same phrase when Jesus baptized and the Father said, in him I am well pleased. It's the same phrase. In other words, if God has loved you enough to somehow by his grace mysteriously draw you to a place where you can see the truth about who he was and you have accepted him, you are favored by God. It wasn't something you take credit for. God did this work in you. You are favored by God. That's powerful. I don't do counseling because I'm bad at it. But every once in a while, people still want to talk to me, which I think is just foolish on their part. We'll be talking along and I find we're going in circles or I spot something and I go, just tell me about your relationship with your dad. One of two things happen. Their head drops, they won't look at me or they get a big smile on their face. It's almost always the first because that's part of why they're in my office. Young lady, trying to get attention in all the wrong ways. Not so good with dad. Young man, angry, bitter. Not so good with dad. You see a whole lot of people going through life trying to overcome issues with dad. If you doubt that, look at statistics about who's in jail. Daddy issues. We want desperately to have a father who looks at us and says, in him, in her, I am well pleased. If our earthly fathers mean that much to us, how much more powerful that our everlasting father, our father in heaven, would look at us and say, in you, I am well pleased. You see, if you are a person who has come to Jesus and you have decided that he is pleased, I look at myself and I go, Lord, you got to be embarrassed of me. 
And when I read it, Scripture doesn't say that at all. It says, yeah, we've got some stuff to work on, but I'm so proud of you. You are favored. Think about, think about the shepherds. Think about the shepherds. The shepherds get this news, and they don't just lay around the rest of the night discussing it. They get up and they go. Now, I want you to think about the before and after the shepherds. Shepherds out in the field at night. Everybody's sleeping comfortably. They're out here freezing to death going, oh, I hate being a shepherd. And, and then all of a sudden, the angels show up and they go into town. They don't go slinking into town. They don't go to the back alleys. I bet you they walk right down the middle of the street and go, hey, we're here. There's a baby. We're, everybody, come on. There's a baby. We got to find it. We're men on a mission. See, what happens when you come to Jesus, you realize the truth about yourself, and you find forgiveness and reconciliation, and you find peace, and then you walk down the street with your head held high and your chest out, not because you're somebody, because you work for somebody. You see, as we go into this Christmas season, we know just kind of, it's Christmas. You know, it's about Jesus. No, 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 no. This is Christmas. It's about Jesus, the one who can change your life. A couple of you got scared there. Is he going to like preach? Because I don't know if we do that here. Stand up. Here's how I want to end today. Stand up. Now. Come on. Let's go. Here's how I want to end this. I want to say this to you. It's kind of a blessing of sorts. This Christmas, go out knowing that you are favored, that God loves you, that you have been greatly graced, and that he is pleased with you. And so I say to all of you, upon whom God's favor rests. Merry Christmas and Shalom. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.